Welcome, everybody, to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage, and I'm your host, Dr. Marta Casa, recording the show from home. So here we go, first episode, Quarantine Edition. God bless everybody. Hope you're having a great day, and thanks for being with us. Well, it is an understatement to say that we are in a moment of crisis. Many of us are struggling with the coronavirus, have family members who are. Uh, maybe some of us are struggling with our jobs, but all of us are having to deal with a new normal under these stay-at-home mandates. So how can we find hope in the midst of this global pandemic? How can we pray to God? What should we be praying for during this time? That's the focus of today's episode. And joining me today are Dr. Tom Neal, a familiar voice of the podcast, and Father Ephraim Arsimo, a Benedictine monk from St. Joseph's Abbey in St. Benedict, Louisiana. In the first interview with Dr. Tom Neal, we talk about how to find God in the midst of this crisis, how to make this a time of purgation and repentance, and whether or not this is the final chastisement or tribulation. I know that those thoughts are going around on social media right now, so we want to talk about that. Then with Father Ephraim, we examine lessons of monastic life that can be applied to the lay vocation since, you know, effectively, we all just became monks thanks to the stay-at-home mandates. I pray that this episode brings you peace and comfort during this time. Please don't hesitate to reach out on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Marisagasa. I look forward to hearing from you on those platforms, and please know that I am praying for you in the midst of this crisis. So, all right, let's get this first interview up with Dr. Tom Neal. Tom Neal, always a gift, man, having you back on the show. Thank you so much for joining me in the midst of this crazy, crazy time that we're in. Yes. And, uh, and I know right now to yes. the listeners, I'm going to say, you know, this is an episode that we're recording from quarantine. So, my kids might come barging in at some point. I don't know, you know, to offer a little <laughs> little extra to the podcast. Or Tom, I know you're outside right now, and so there's there's some birds crowing and cars driving by. Um, so you know, we just ask for patience with the listener. You know, we're trying That's the best right. that we can. You know, with with with, with what we have. <laughs> and thank you for being patient with me too. Let me be out here, Mario. <laughs> Absolutely, it's going to be great. So you know, in the, in this episode for today, I, I, um. I know where everybody's hearts are. I know where my heart is. Um, this situation with the coronavirus has been obviously anxiety producing. Um, it has disrupted our lives. Um, this is something that we just hear about in movies or sure. that we read about in books or that we read about in history books. Also, when we think history of like the plague books, yeah. or the Spanish right. flu of a hundred years ago. We're like, Oh, but, but we're in the 21st century and, and we don't, we're past all of that, you know, it's kind of collectively, I think how we've all kind of accepted. And so for, for the economy to come to a grinding halt, for all of us to be forced to, to be home, um, is all something that is very new. Um, and, and so I want to talk about both the, the praying through a pandemic, but then also some of the blessings that are there. But then I do also want to spend a little bit of time just laying this out for our conversation. Also want to spend a little sure. bit of time talking about prophecies and is this is, is this is this the tribulation and if it is or is it how do we even get to that so we're gonna save that for the very end of the conversation but tom just how are you doing first and foremost in the midst of this how's the family um how are you guys managing with uh with, with all this thank, as a thanks, family thanks yeah thanks for asking thanks for your wonderful introduction there and and for having me uh yeah we're i mean you know it's one of those perspective things that uh considering the the larger situation out there uh we are really gratefully blessed right now. I mean, we're all healthy 
yeah, we're, we're all six of us locked down in our house, like so many people are, uh, trying to find ways to keep life moving and, and, and uh, be patient with each other and be creative and not become addicts to technology or other things like that to keep a, you know, to keep a healthy balance to everything and enjoy the, in New Orleans, the blessed weather out here, the yeah. amazingly like summer weather. Um, but we're, you know, we're well, uh, there is, I mean, of course, at the beginning when it first started, there was a lot of very strong emotional reactions for, from all of us, you know, anxiety, uh, frustration, anger, disappointment. I mean, my daughter, Catherine and my son, Nicholas are both going to graduate from Nicholas college and Catherine high school this spring. Uh, and so their very last weeks and months of their semester, especially for Catherine at her high school at Mount Carmel, uh, she's going to miss all those last things, the prom and all the last fun senior things and all those memories and probably graduation. So and the same for Nicholas. So, you know, those kind of things initially really caused a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. Um, and, you know, just kind of working through those each on our own in our own way, but then together trying to help. You know, Patty and I trying to help Catherine particularly work through that and uh, her being, you know, really, I mean, she's come through it. She's kind of let go. She's accepted this and moved moved on to a new approach. But um, so, yeah, so all those kind of uh, experiences I've had to shift, you know, from teaching classes in person at the seminary to now all online classes. And <laughs> I tell the guys, you know. You know, this is going to be basically a, a, a pretty train wreck. I'm going to make it as pretty as possible. I'm going to put a bow on it and it's going to be nice. But everything that I had planned for all of these you know, people to come in and give, you know, witness talks and have conversations and seminar style things, we're doing the best we can using Zoom and its wonderful offerings and uh, for classroom. Um, Patty, who's a music director, uh, you know, at her parish has been completely shut down because there's no music, but this weekend they're going to allow her to come in with the accompanist and provide music for the, uh, uh, recorded mass and so forth. So anyway, lots of different things, uh, learning new things, uh, trying to be very safe, um, but trying not to live out of fear, uh, primarily and, yeah. and figure out what we actually can do. Um, anyway, those are a few awesome knee jerks. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. So let me let me ask a question here then as we're kind of moving into this. You know, your background is in John of the Cross and spiritual theology, and you've researched, you know, with great depth, uh, a lot of the great spiritual writers in the history of the church. Anxiety, pandemics, things like this have happened before. This isn't the first time this has happened. This isn't the last time that, that this will happen sure. for sure. So at, at a general level, what what advice comes out of the spiritual tradition in the midst of a circumstance like this, like sure. what, what, what is the best thing that we can be praying for? I hate to say it like that, but I don't know if that that's the way I'm wording it, but what, or, or just even kind of managing our fear and anxiety in the midst of this, like what comes out of the tradition sure. that we should be taking note of during this season? Sure. That's a brilliant and profound question. So I think if you think about this kind of experience um, as a kind of social as well as individual experience for human beings of going through crisis, deprivation, exhaustion, fear, sickness, illness, the loss of loved ones for those who have lost uh, people to this illness or, 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 or have lost people to uh, whatever might have uh, come about because there's not access to the kind of things they normally have access to. You know, so there's, we've heard about all kinds of things like that. 
So uh, during these times, St. John of the Cross would say, you know, he uses the image of the dark night, right? These times when we are deprived of the usual things that we rely on, the things that that we depend on for life and for day-to-day comforts and a sense of stability and all of that, the, 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 and rightly so. Uh, but there are times in life when those are removed from us, um, whether those are interiorly, like when he talks about, you know, in your prayer life, when you lose all sense of consolation and sweetness and so forth, and your prayer becomes dry and difficult, or in life circumstances, when things don't turn out in any way, shape or form the way that you wished, uh, things all fall apart. Uh, for John, all of those things become opportunities for surrender. I mean, this is the the fundamental uh, posture of the spiritual life it is not control, is not even action. It's surrender. Um, it's not surrender in the passive sense of saying I'm not going to do anything or try to bring about good or resist evil or try to you know change things or keep the epidemic from spreading. It's it's surrender in saying that I will do what I can do, uh, but everything else that is out of my control, uh, I let go of and surrender to God's providence to to trust in His providence. In his providence, we don't believe his providence means all will turn out terrific and well in this life in the way that we want and there'll be no loss or hardship or suffering and pain. But it means that no matter what we go through, uh, God will turn all of those things to a greater good, um, both in this world but supremely in the world to come where we'll see uh, what we can't see here in terms of God's providential plan for the well-being of all creation where he brings good out of evil. So so that posture of surrender, I mean, this is – for me, I mean, I, I'm forced to face fears that I usually don't have to face that I can pretty much protect myself from. Uh, but all of a sudden, I, I, I feel fears, of not only for myself and my health, but my children, for their health, for my wife, for her health, uh, for other people we know and love. I, I can't control those things. You know, when it first happened, I thought, oh, can we go drive somewhere that, you know, hide out somewhere where it won't be, like if there's a hurricane coming? And I thought, no, there is nowhere we can go. This is not something you go run and hide from somewhere else. Uh, and so I so John of the Cross in his in his advice would say, I mean, first of all, that I guess that that the call to surrender to God and his providence and to trust him in the darkness when things are removed um, is, I guess, the final lesson of of the spiritual life, the hardest one to learn. One other thing I'll say, there's so much more to say. Um, another thing that John is clear on, and this is really in quarantine becomes very um, <laughs> evident uh, he gives advice in one of his counsels to novices who had just entered the monastery and now are living in what we might call monastic quarantine, which means they're now stuck with these men for the rest of their lives, day and night, living with them. They can't ever leave these men uh, and they'll always be with them. <laughs> uh, and his advice is, look, you've come here for one reason, and that's to be worked and tried in virtue. And God is going to use the people around you to chisel you out and to carve you into what he wants you to be. And some he'll use uh, to carve you by uh, their deeds that annoy you, by their very person or temperament that bothers you, by their words where they don't uh, esteem you or they get impatient with you or whatever it is. All of these things he said are opportunities for you to be come 
as he says, worthy of heaven, meaning to become a virtuous man or woman in a way that you wouldn't without that kind of challenge. And, and living together close in quarantine with people all of the time, it's just, it's, it has a special blessing, right? There's an intimacy of family. It's fantastic. And it brings out some very difficult challenges. Um, and for people who live alone, who are uh, who live alone, but now are in uh, isolation in a way they never were because no one wants to come near them or can come near them or whatever. So um, these become opportunities not just for surrender, passive kind of surrendering to God, but for active practice of virtues we may never have had to practice before or in the way that we are now. So we you know beg God for the grace to be able to begin to 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 practice those in new ways now. And when this is over. Like, like with Lent itself, the whole idea is that when this is over, we want to be, be stronger people, more surrendered people, more detached from all of the attachments and addictions we had before. We want to come out of this better. And then as, as, as things have to get, you know, picked up after this crisis, there'll be so much that needs to be done. I, I can't imagine how much need there's going to be afterwards. Uh, we, we need to use this time, uh, this great Lent, you might call it. Um, to uh, ask the Lord to make us into the kind of person he wants so that we can be the people that are needed after this is all over. So those are just a few uh, thoughts. You know, Tom, it just, the idea of surrender is something that comes up often in prayer and in the spiritual life and conversations. But, you know, sometimes I think we feel like it's like this, like passivity or like this, like, well, we're just going to let whatever happens happen. And that's not what's, that's not, what has been communicated to us. No, that's right. You know, and so like surrender means that we have to, <laughs> there's the, somebody's cutting grass behind you or something. I'm but so it's, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm happy for his job. Exactly. Happy he has a job. It, surrender means this, you know, even surrendering the perfection of a show, you know, like it just, we have yes. to, we have to acknowledge that like we're working with the limitations that we have and doing the best that we can with the circumstances that, that we're facing. Um, and this to say, this has been an inconvenience is, is an understatement. You know, it's yes. more than just an inconvenience. It's been a, a radical reshifting of priorities. And, and again, I'm grateful that I have a job that I'm able to, to work from home and being able to continue to do these shows and have these conversations with great people like you who are good friends that I can call it at a, at a, at a, at a moment's notice and, and have a conversation with. Yes. But again, like for all of us, we're all being forced to face um, what those limitations are and have to operate within them. You know, the image that came to me last week when we were talking, when we first started, when we first realized that quarantine was the way we were moving, I, we talked to the boys last week and, and, and shared with them like, Guys, this is this is like Noah's Ark. You know, this is this is what we're being faced to do is that there's this flood that's coming and we have to hunker down and we have to do what we can be responsible for to protect ourselves. I had the same thought as you. I was like, well, maybe we can go somewhere. Maybe we can go to Tallahassee, be with family or be some. But it was like this thing is going to spread everywhere. There's nowhere we can go and spend the next couple months, you know, that we would be safe or away from. And if anything, we would be risking you know, infecting our other family or be even more inconvenient on somebody else's time and home rather than just being in our own house and doing what we can. And so we, we, we need to, but accepting that is, is really hard. It's just, it's really hard to accept that. Like all the things that I thought I needed to be happy in life um, are gone. You know, can't go out to the stores, can't go shopping, can't watch basketball, can't watch sports, um, can't go to the movies, can't go out to eat. Um, 
So, so there's been a real offering in that. But at the same time, I will say on the positive side, you know, for at least from my experience, like I've been home more and being home more has been its own blessing. And it's been an opportunity to, to have meals every night. And, and Kristen honestly is with more time and more hands on deck, she can cook better meals. Not that she cooked bad meals to begin with, but she's been more creative and expressive in, in the different kind of uh, foods that she's been cooking because there's been more time to, to be able to do that yes. rather than just us running from picking somebody up from school and then dropping somebody off at this event and dropping somebody else off at this event. We could have three things going on in a single night that we're running yes. around doing. Yes. So it's been an opportunity to really slow down and, and to remind us what is most essential in life. And, and even without mass, um, I, I, my, my prayer life has certainly increased because life has just slowed down dramatically. Um, And in a way that I've been forced to do, but in a way, honestly, that we've been grateful for at the same time. So, so I don't say that I'm grateful for the pandemic. I'm not grateful that this is happening. I know a lot of people are losing their jobs. Unemployment is skyrocketing. We need that stimulus package. More people are going to lose their jobs. This is a horrific situation for a lot of people. And I'm not trying to be placating of the reality of the circumstances for people. But, but just recognizing that, that we all have our own part of, 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 of trying to surrender to whatever it is that God is doing in, in our lives in the midst of this. Yeah, no, that's profound. Uh, that's a profound reflection. And, and I, I, I think of it this way, I guess what you just said spurred this thought. So we in theology say that God does not do evil, but he only he permits it in view of the fact that he can draw draw out of it a greater good, right? That's kind of a, a, a pat phrase in, in, our, in our theological tradition. Um, in some ways, we can think of that and say, well, uh, God can draw greater good out of evil, so let's just sit back and watch him do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it let's see what he does. And, and that, of course, that completely misses, as we talked about in previous podcasts, about free will and right. about prayer. It misses the point. It's not simply a statement of what God will do himself, and we will be the passive grateful, amazed recipients, but it's a command to us. In other words, when there is evil, we must find a greater good to bring out of it and do all we can to enact that, to make that happen. Uh, we have to discover the good present in the bad, the the good present in the evil. There, there was the other day I was walking uh, in our neighborhood, but you mentioned this, by the way, there's, it's amazing. Uh, the, the neighborhood yards, I, we didn't even know people had children in this neighborhood, honestly. <laughs> We didn't. And all of a sudden I'm like, but these people just have like quadruplets. You know? <laughs> they were born at seven years old and eight, nine and ten. Anyway, but I mean, there's children outside. They're laughing. They're having picnics on their lawns. They're walking. They're riding bikes. People have brand new bikes. Uh, it's just it's just it's just amazing uh, to see uh, all that's happened. But anyway, I was walking and I walked by this tree. There's a huge oak tree. And, um, I was walking this day. Usually when I walk, I power walk quickly so I can get done and get to the next thing. But this day I'm like, okay, uh, I did exercise differently. I'm just going to walk and stroll slowly, which I never do. And I'm looking at every little detail of everything as I walk. And it was like an hour and a half amazing walk. And I noticed this one tree It was an oak tree, a live oak tree. And, um, a big chunk of it, uh, the huge trunk uh, was ripped open. For, it was a giant scar, and I don't know what had happened, obviously. Maybe a, a giant branch had broken off, but there was a lot of rotting wood inside the open scar uh, on the side of the tree. And out of that rotting wood on the side of the tree was this beautiful clover with growing out of it, out of the side of the tree with all these flowers. 
And I thought, wow, that is life from death. I mean, that is unbelievable. Out of the, the death and the weakness of this massive oak tree that's, that's in its own trunk and its, its great stability uh, is rotting from the inside out. It, it is surrendered itself to this little clover. Uh, and it, this clover now has drawn life and is creating beauty out of the side of it. And I just thought that's an astounding image. And it's really the image of Christians. I mean, it's what Christians are supposed to be in the midst of death. They are bringing life and beauty by their acts of charity and kindness and patience and justice and self-sacrifice and going through exhaustion for the sake of others or praying for others and uh, or suffering quarantine for the sake of not spreading this illness to the vulnerable and whatever it is that that it's so God draws a greater good out of evil. That's a command to us to seek every opportunity to bring uh, the clover, which is the three-leaf Trinitarian image, beautiful, out of the dead wood of this tree of the United States of our country. Uh, that's us. Uh, anyway, so that was just a reflection on what you had said. Yeah, there's always hope. I mean, that's, that's always, the, hope. always hope. That's the message of the show. And that's, yes. <clears throat> that's the reality that we have to live by. You know, as you said that, I, I read an article recently that said that they are finding in the Chernobyl disaster, in the in the reactor, they have found a certain black algae that is actually growing inside of the the, the reactor that actually is eats uh, the ra- the radioactive waste. <laughs> no. Yes. Oh. Yeah. I don't know if I'm saying it right. I'm not a scientist, so if somebody wants to flag wow. me on that, they can. But just you think about like the greatest the greatest man made disaster, right? I mean that that the, that waste so is going to sit sure. there for well beyond any of our lifetimes. Life finds a way, you know, that's, that's what, you know, Jurassic Park, um, you know, Ian Malcolm, that's what he says, right? You know, life finds a way in the midst of it all, in the midst of all this chaos and disorder, goodness still wants to emerge. And so finding the balance between surrendering, but, but being active in that surrender, like we have to accept the limitations, life looks differently, but we still have an offering that we can make to the Lord. Yes. Like, I I just want to ask then, you know, because, you know, we, we, we have a heart out here in 20 minutes, like. Some people have been asking the question, like, is this it? You know, is this, is Jesus coming soon? Is this, the, tri- is, is this the tribulation? <laughs> like in the middle of this podcast, am I just going to be talking to myself? Because between you and me, you're definitely the one who's going to be raptured, not me. You know, I'm the one, <laughs> I'll, I'll be the one stayed behind. You know, there's no doubt about that. You know, <laughs> you're, so, you're too much. <laughs> So, so, so is this it, it, like, it, is it in, in, and I guess I'm asking the question in a couple of ways. One, I, I don't really think it is, but, but I think it speaks more to our, the, the fact that we ask these questions during these difficult times, I think is more out of a sense of control, out of sure. a sense of trying to identify what this is and putting a label on it, because as sure. soon as we can put a label on it, we have a sense of control over it. Um, but what, what do you think? Sure. That's a great question. So I, I, I listened to Bishop Barron the other day when he was talking about this. And I think uh, Brandon Vaught asked something similar to this to him. And, and he had just had a, he had a nice answer. He's like, he said, I don't know <laughs> what God is doing in this. I don't know. You know, specifically, if you ask me, it means this one thing. It's the chastisement or it is the tribulation or it is the beginning of the end. He says, I, I can't know that. But I, I can know that that evil and evil on mass scale has part of, been part of a human history from the beginning. 
I mean, the Noah's Ark story you mentioned earlier is precisely that, right? right. Uh, and, and human history is filled with these. And, and, and all of the prophecies, you might say, both of the Old Testament to the Jews and then the New Testament, Jesus's own prophecies of the destruction of Jerusalem coming, um, or the Book of Revelations kind of view of these kind of catastrophic worldwide plagues and pandemics and, and so forth. Um, all of them are, are a constant feature of human life in this world uh, as we move towards uh, worlds, the, the world's finality, its end, right? So we already live in the end times. The end times are already here. Once Christ died, rose from the dead, and ascended to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit, the end of the world was already on us. So, so everything uh, that happens in history becomes part of the unfolding of God's plan to call all men to salvation, every human being to salvation, to repentance. Uh, so everything conspires to that to that end. So I, th I think it's important to keep that perspective. Now, it, could it be uh, one of the, the the kind of birth pangs of the end? The Catechism says, right? There'll be kind of these 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 kind of final things at the end that will be great and spectacular. I mean, so, so there is that in our tradition. What they are and what they mean, we don't know. But we should always live as if that's the case. I mean, that's how you should live your life. Um, is this the chastisement? It reminds me, I was thinking this morning about this question uh, because you had mentioned it the other day to me. Um, and I was thinking of my my very first spiritual director, whom I quote probably more than anyone else in terms of personal advice given to me. I had him as my director for about five years from 1989 until 1994, just a, a holy man. Then he, he, he died and went to the Lord. But he said to me one time when I was, I was going through whatever was going through in my life, some difficult uh, thing. Um, and, uh, he said to me, uh, I, I was kind of using a martyr complex language, right? I'm being persecuted. I'm being because of the, you know, decisions I've made and I become a different person and I'm trying to live a good life and all these people are persecuting me. I, I was, I was giving that kind of language and listened. And he said at the, at the end of it, he said, you know, when hard things, when difficult things happen to you in life come upon you, whatever they are, he says, don't, don't begin with a martyr complex, making yourself the great victim uh, who's the hero, uh, take on the penitence mindset. In other words, receive these things as an opportunity for you to be purified, to come to repentance. And, and that makes me think of Jesus in the Gospels when there's a, an incident in Galilee where a tower falls down and kills 30-something men. Um, and they ask him, you know, is, 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 these men, did this happen because of these men's sins? And Jesus says, no, it wasn't because these men were any more sinful than anyone else that the tower crushed them. But if you all don't repent, uh, uh, all of you will face that same end, right? So in other words, any difficulty, any disaster, any plague, any war is a call to repentance, to reform, to changing our lives, to uh, opening up into dependence on God, to turning towards our neighbor, um, uh, you know, as an examination of conscience, a personal one, a familial one, a social one. Um, and for lots of different reasons, one of which is because these things expose in us things we otherwise don't look at, we don't see. We can cover up by all of the you know busyness and the entertainment and the whatever workaholism or whatever it is. We cover up all of these things that can be buried. And then when these kind of things happen that render us helpless and powerless and afraid and feel alone, uh, we suddenly become vulnerable and open up to the possibility of conversion. So yep. I, to me, that's the best way to look at it in general without trying to be so specific and make these kind of Fatima connections or whatever of prophecies. Well, I'll take it one step further. We were really close to believing that we could save ourselves. 
You know, like as a society, we have come really far in trying to create a ut- that, that utopia where every need, and this has always been the great, this is, this is the greatest threat, you know, to the Christian message over the last 20, 30 years has been in an affluent society. Does the Christian message still stay relevant? Does the need for salvation still stick when we feel that we can answer all of our problems? So medicine can answer every, every physical ailment that we have, even at the point of kind of looking at, you know, reversing aging with skin treatments and things. Um, psychology can answer any of the questions that we have with regards to emotional limitations in life. In, in, in entertainment technology, in terms of, you know, staving off boredom or even getting information, we can do all of these things at our disposal. Um, and all of those things are great. Those advances are great. I'm not knocking. I'm not saying they're not good. They are. They're very, very good. But, but when they become our God, when, mm. when we put our faith and our trust in those things to be that which ultimately saves us, then we've made an idol out of them. Then we've, we've fallen to, to that same idol worship that, that has also be, you know, be wrought all of human history from the Old Testament on. And, and so I think going back to this notion of surrender, for me, what, what this whole thing has, has brought to us is, is a reminder of how fragile all of these systems actually are. You know, you think of something like the family, for example. With, like people who are alone right now, God bless them, man. I mean, I'm praying for them, single people right now, more than anything else. Like, at least we have each other. I have my wife and my kids. I have, we have each other. And yeah, we have our annoyances and disagreements. But you know what? We're together. And, and all these other social norms that we've created to quote unquote, try to supplant the family are all gone. You know, softball leagues, adult softball leagues and adult, you know, kickball leagues and going to the bars and all, while all those things are good, they're great. Yes. But like at the end, they're not as important as, as family. And, and the similarly with all these other technological advances, this, this technopelagianism that we really live in is kind of a recognition that like, man, you know, like at the end of the day, if this little virus can put our might, can our, this little virus has effectively shut down the, the greatest economy that has ever lived in the history of the world. You know what I mean? It's come to a grinding halt. And if our salvation was just on our bank accounts or our, our hope for salvation was just on that and that alone, then now is a profound opportunity to call to conversion to say, you know what? Like what really matters? What really is the most important thing? What, what should, where should our hopes really rest on? Um, what, what is the thing that ultimately gives us meaning and purpose in life? And in, and in the absence of all of those comforts and all of those advancements, we, we only have one answer and the answer is God and God alone. Um, or at least I believe that's the only answer. It's otherwise God, yeah. God alone, or, or that this is completely, you know, uh, a, a random chance of events and, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter either way, but I'm, but I don't fall into that nihilism. You know, I don't, I don't ascribe to that philosophy. Mm. So, so yeah, I mean, that's I, I don't know, you know, if, if this is or isn't, I don't know either, you know, but like, but there is something significant that is happening that we have to have our eyes open to, to be attentive to. That's profound. I mean, I, I would, I would, I would not only say amen to that, but, uh, but, but it, I, I think, I think the, the, the profundity of the insight that we really believed that we had conquered, uh, the world so much so that this could never happen as it's happened again and again and again and again in history. This is, this is not, this is 
such a common feature of history of civilizations. Um, the Black Plague, the most famous one of Europe, right? A third of Europe was wiped out. 50 million people died in that plague. Uh, I mean, uh, we, we think that we're immune. And I think that's really that pretentiousness that we we have in our culture. I think you really put your finger on that. That's that's I think that's that's a stupendous insight. It also, I think, makes us aware, as you know, Mario, as you you were saying that that our that globalization has has really made us uh, aware that we are a single human race and that every action of every person in every country has immense consequences for every other one. I mean, that that John Paul II called that solidarity and giving us a profound sen- a moral sense of responsibility for. Uh, not only those in our own ethnic group or tribe or nation, but uh, on the planet. And, and and this certainly highlights just how incredible, A, how incredibly interconnected the entire planet is on so many levels, uh, but also how interdependent the world is, that one uh, part of the world needs the other. Uh, and so, I mean, I'm one of my many prayers in terms of graces that I ask God to give uh, is that that our world learns this, that there, I mean, the profundity of the divisions that uh, ha- have developed over the last 150 years or so, particularly with the world wars and then, you know, global terror, terrorism and so forth, that this can really bring about a sense of solidarity uh, among human beings uh, in a profound sense. So, yeah, so I, mean, I think I think the, the idea of us kind of having our idols smashed, which you get at really beautifully, uh, of having our focus brought back to what's essential, like family and faith and those kind of central things, um, as well as this more profound sense of solidarity, which is the great gift the Catholic Church gives, right? The Catholic Church, which is a, 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 is a universal, global human family that takes people from every tribe, race, nation, ethnicity, and so forth, and makes them one people who realize that each belongs to the other as, as, as members of a body. And, you know, this illness is almost like, you know, the human race is like one body and the illness is, is coursing through the body of the human race. Uh, and uh, we are all together trying to heal uh, our, our one body. And I had this insight the other day as I was writing a journal reflection. Uh, St. Augustine has this beautiful image of heaven. He says that in heaven, heaven will be what? Heaven will be one Christ loving himself. And I always thought that was magnificent. Christ the head and his body loving one another. Uh, for all eternity, one Christ loving himself. And I thought, well, that's exactly what the church on earth is supposed to be now. It's one Christ loving himself. And the church is supposed to be the sign and sacrament and instrument of that reality here and now. And, and you know, when I look, and I hate to do this kind of thing, because it's it's like, I don't want a virtue signal or, or state the obvious, but when I look on Facebook, and I look at just the way that in this time, uh, people tend to feed on tearing each other apart, uh, looking at this as an opportunity to pe- to tear people down or to viciously attack them, uh, uh, as opposed to just, you know, obviously uh, having a fair dialogue and exchange of ideas. But I think that's precisely the opposite of what the church is supposed to be, um, that we are supposed to be one Christ loving himself. And the church is supposed to be a sign in the midst of the world of this. What it's this is what it looks like when human beings who are broken uh, and wounded and ill and sick uh, and and uh, and divided, uh, they can find a place in the church where they can discover reconciliation, right? Which is what Christ Himself came to bring by His blood. So, anyway, that's that's kind of a, a just it's coming out of my head as I speak here, but. Beautiful, uh, beautiful. 
but but yeah. So anyway, that that image of the global body of humanity and Christ's body, the church, uh, I think is, for me has been very powerful. Yeah. So where do we go from here? You know, like we have a few more minutes just before we have to wrap up. But I agree with that sense of solidarity. You know, my, Gabriel has friends. Has, he does a Google Hangout with some friends that he met at the summer camp over, uh, you know, in from Lafayette. But the people that he Google Hangouts with is. This one girl, her parents are missionaries and she's in Nairobi in Kenya and she's in lockdown. He has a friend also in Houston that they Google hang out and, and he's in lockdown as well. And, and so you talk about like this one family, this one global experience, everybody is, is, is having to kind of face these realities. And, and, and I agree. I mean, I'm an optimist like you, you know, you hope that on the other side of this, that, that we do have some, some sense of unity, some sense of solidarity and, and not really knowing what picking up the pieces is going to is going to look like kind of moving forward. But you hope that people do rally together um, and try to really kind of work against some of the differences. You know, you saw this week the the Democrats and Republicans finally came together on their economic stimulus package. You know, there was some bickering at the beginning of the week, but you see that there's been some of that has been toned down a little bit. Yeah. Right. Um, even the animosity towards the president, I know it's still kind of there, but, but honestly, you've seen some of that sure. toned down a little bit. There just has to come a point where we have to, we have to, we have to see our leaders. Basically, we need to see mom and dad not fighting right now, you know, is, is the answer. We need to see them kind of working together, solving problems. Excellent. And, and I hope that that's a lesson for us. Now, again, the political divide will still be there on the other side of this. We'll still have to navigate, navigate, you know, kind of what attention to the poor looks like or dealing with immigrants or, or, or politics, you know, with with abortion and homosexuality and and, and, and the green deals and all these other things that are the, the hot button issues that divide us. That I, I hope, though, as as you do too, you know, that even within those disagreements and differences that still exist on these particular issues, that we approach it with a little more humility um, towards an acknowledgement that that we're more alike than than different, and um, and maybe I'm being idealistic. I don't know, mm. probably. But uh, but yeah, whatever. Then I'm willing to take that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that. I guess that's 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 my hope, right? That's that's the hope in all of this. Not not not, not optimism, meaning I believe it's going to simply happen uh, as some kind of magical thing. But but hope that that happens. But more so that that it's the kind of thing there. So people who hope that um, labor to make that real in their own little worlds. I mean, this, this is the beauty, uh, for me, uh, understanding solidarity, um, and that image from physics of the butterfly effect, um, that if you want to promote global solidarity, then you simply start right in front of your face with the people around you, um, by promoting that, that exactly that kind of posture towards human beings, which is, um, the people around me, the people in my neighborhood, the people next door that I don't even know who they are, uh, family, family members that we're estranged from, uh, whoever it is that we begin to work our best and asking the Lord to give us the grace and wisdom and insight as to how we can build a culture uh, and civilization of solidarity in our little world that's around us. And that has these extraordinary ripple effects. I mean, that's the way we it works, period. Uh, I mean, this whole coronavirus supposedly began in a marketplace where, you know, selling bats or something. I mean, in that little tiny exchange, the entire planet was enveloped. I mean, the same works in grace, but but super abundantly, right? If we give grace these small efforts to try to live out the very way we want to see the world uh, in terms of living out this ethic of solidarity and uh, that, that and solidarity might be, by the way, 
nicely translated as I am my brother's keeper. You know, Cain, you were, I'm sorry, you were wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you are. Uh, but, but that I do that every day as much as I can. And I repent of all the ways that I've failed to do that. And every day try to do that even more to promote that among others. I mean, I think that's, you got to start realistically. I mean, there's, there's a beautiful line I have here. I, I pulled up from, uh, Cardinal Newman, uh, he, his, his prayer called lead kindly light. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to read the first lot, the first please, little stand, stanza of it, which, which gets at this, you know, how do I, how do I help address a global issue, uh, from my little tiny world in Metairie, Louisiana, my house, uh, it says, as he prays to God as, uh, and under the image of kindly light, he says, lead kindly light amid the encircling gloom, lead thou me on. The night is dark and I am far from home. Lead, lead thou me on. Keep thou my feet. I do not ask to see the distant scene. One step enough for me. And that last line, uh, one step enough for me, I do not ask the distant sight to see, uh, I guess is what the Lord calls us to every day. One step. What's the step I'm going to take today? The one step towards bringing about in the world greater goodness, greater beauty, greater mercy, greater generosity, greater kindness, and so forth. Uh, that's what I do. And I make myself an instrument of God. I surrender to him and say, make me an instrument of all these things that you wish to be in the world. Uh, and then flap the wings of the butterfly, Lord, and bring it to where it needs to go. So I guess that's my final parting message would be would be with Cardinal Newman, St. Newman, uh, to ask the kindly light to lead us there. Amen. That's the way we need to end this episode. Tom, yeah, thank thanks, you. man, for this conversation. It's, an honor. it's been honor encouraging. Be and and uh, God bless you. And guys, keep 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 doing what you're doing. You know, and we're all, we're all so gonna much. get through this together. You too, your family as well. And God bless your family. Thanks, Tom. All Peace, right. brother. Peace. Hey, everybody. If you are enjoying the show, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps to get the word out. And honestly, it's just an encouragement to me to know how this show is impacting you in your lives. So thanks for taking the time to do that. All right, now that we've wrapped up the first part, let's get into the second interview with Father Ephraim. Father Ephraim, welcome to the Always So Podcast. How are you doing? Thank you. Um, really well, and I'm very happy to be with you. Praise God. Thank you so much for taking this opportunity to, to be with us uh, on the show. So as a Benedictine monk, I had the idea that it would be really neat to speak with you um, because right now during this time of quarantine, um, by default, we have all become monks and we have mm -hmm. all had to enter into this period of, of quarantine and social isolation and simplicity of life. Uh, many of the the trappings and the things that we have kind of added onto our life have had to kind of go away. And so we've all had to really restructure and reprioritize um, uh, just what we do with our time. And so as a lay person in the midst of this transition, um, as what 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 advice I guess do you have kind of right out of the gates, uh, generally speaking, uh, for all of us as we're kind of making this transitions and lessons that we can learn from you as a monk? you know, entering into this kind of quasi monastic state that we're now entering into. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, when this was starting to develop, I certainly had the idea that um, while I didn't want to minimize the uh, severity of what people's situation would be, that I felt like um, good could come out of this. Uh, like, God's a redeemer and God will bring in good out of anything. So I'm always trying to look at what good could come out of this. And, um, you know, I, as I mentioned to you a, a day or two ago, I think everybody has an inner monk within them. And um, it's not something, I think more people are, perhaps than others, would be disposed to, you know, enter into a life of uh, quiet and solitude and simplicity and, and whatnot. But I think everybody is, um, is has a capacity for for this these things these uh, values we would say monastic values of um, prayer and simplicity of life and solitude and, and community um, those are all uh, kind of staples of monastic life that are really part of every every human being and uh, I would say to be a healthy human being um, we ought to be in touch with those those uh, dimensions of our life whether we're introverts or extroverts you know. And um, so this isn't a unique opportunity, uh, you could say. I mean, even amidst the devastation of the experiences of uh, many, many people, um, even for my community, we've had to, you know, emphasize some of those qualities a little bit more than we normally do, um, with, you know, certain aspects of our life being uh, shut down as well. Uh, others not, you know, and, and not much has changed, but some things have changed and I think give us as well an opportunity to um, find our, our own uh, vocations, as it were, you know, again, and renew ourselves with them. Um, I, I think one of the, I guess, biggest obstacles to make this time healthy and useful and life-giving is a kind of simple question of what do you do with all this time that you suddenly have? Right. You know, I mean... Um, so St. Benedict uh, addresses that even in the monasteries. Uh, I mean, our life is quite scheduled. We call it the horarium. Um, you might call it a um, just some kind of plan of life or a rule of life. Um, whatever you call it is just that the idea that you, it's, it's your, your day has a certain kind of structure to it and a certain kind of rhythm to it. And uh, I think that's very important for people who... Uh, all of a sudden, their particular structure that they lived with is completely altered, um, uh, maybe completely gone. And so what do you do in its place? And I think, you know, uh, St. Benedict talks about how important it is. Like for a monk, say, uh, uh, he says Sundays, monks should give themselves to reading, reading and prayer. Um, but if one doesn't have the capacity to do that, then give them some work to do. You know, even if it's on Sunday, give them some work to do. Um, so that they're just not being idle. Uh, one of the, the worst things for St. Benedict is that a person's just kind of moping around doing nothing. And what's going to happen is uh, he's afraid of, especially if you live in a community, then you're going to give yourself to idle chatter or what he calls murmuring or, or just things that are not life-giving. So uh, I, I would say that this is an opportunity, but we need to uh, have some tools uh, in place to be able to make it an opportunity and not just um, uh, kind of with too much ample time, this kind of idleness could set in and we can start making bad decisions instead of having be more proactive and kind of offensive with this uh, 
the situation and then making the most of it, right? Yeah, so, so let, me, let, think, me, let me stop yeah. you and interject right there if that's all right. You know, what you said beautifully just right at the outset is that we all have the capacity for this. And I think that's a real encouragement for all of us. You know, because when I think of my own life and, and the beauty of, of the various vocations that the church offers is that we do always see this kind of complementarity that exists. And there's a, a particular calling, but that there's this, this community at work, even within the full body of the Lord. And when we look at kind of a spectrum of like in the world and out of the world, you know, almost in some ways, it's like the monastic vocation is, is real seclusion. It's simplicity. It's, it's, and I know some monks do have parishes and do travel and do different things in the world, certainly, but by and large, the the image is there that you, you live in your community, you work in on the land, you pray there, and you really are are committed to that, to that property. While me as a, as a lay person, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm working, I'm traveling, I'm going this place, that place. And so, so there's a, yeah. there's, there's certainly a difference in the day to day, but, but what you said in terms of honoring the, 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 the rule of life, the orarium, the, 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 the discipline that's there, you know, for, for me, at least in my life, like so much of what I do day to day is, is almost dictated for me. Okay. My son needs to be right. at school by seven thirty in the morning. So that means I need to be up at this time, take him. I go to the office, I clock in my hours. I need to clock in. I need to come home at a certain time because then my boy's other sons have uh, basketball practice or taekwondo or this thing or that thing. And so, so much of my life day to day is kind of like, when am I squeezing in the other things I need to do? Because it's so much of it's already dictated for me. Well, now in the yeah. absence of all of that, I've all of a sudden been given all this time, which for me personally has been a tremendous blessing. I've been very grateful. Um, again, not, not, not to take away from people who are losing their jobs and the concerns yeah, that are there. Sure. We want to certainly pray for those individuals. But but as we're making this transition, you said idleness is the temptation. Um, you know, in, in, in idleness, you know, as they say, was idle hands or the devil's playground. So, so if that means otherwise falling into things that you shouldn't be doing online or falling yeah. into murmuring and, and, and gossip and, and idle speech yeah. about, about people, about others, um, how can we be attentive to idleness? You know, how, or how can we, how can we, pro, how can we be proactive in this right now? To establish right. a firm rule of life, like what are just some basics right out of the <clears> gates <throat> for individuals to kind of to kind of look at? Well, I know uh, dealing with uh, especially retreatants uh, who are <laughs> uh, like uh, Will Woods and married couples who are dealing with families, uh, even for our other retreats, uh, it's, it's mainly adults who have families. Um, one of the things that they struggle with the most is having enough time to even pray. You know, especially young couples like yourself and. Uh, with uh, you know, young kids and they're taking care of them. And um, so suddenly you actually don't have an, that much of an excuse, <laughs> which is a wonderful thing, you know? And so that, there it is. I mean, uh, you know, being able to, to maybe uh, keep getting up early, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, instead of rushing to get everybody ready to go to school or to go to work, um, let the kids sleep in a little bit and, and you have a little bit more time for yourself. I mean, you use that. It's just a wonderful opportunity right there um, to, to get grounded and rooted in prayer. I mean, I think uh, that's a very monastic thing to do is to get up early and pray. Um, but I think, you know, it's proven itself that it's an effective, healthy um, spiritual discipline because, you know, your mind's typically clear in the morning and uh, you can usually pray well in the morning if you've got enough sleep. <laughs> You know, uh, I tell that to the seminarians all the time. It's one of the most important things you're going to do for your life uh, to make you your formation successful is to go to bed early. 
Um, right. And that's because you will have the opportunity to get up early. <laughs> um, and also, it, it eliminates a lot of just kind of idle stuff and trouble you can get in at night. <laughs> so uh, go to bed early, get up early, and, um, and pray well in the morning. Yes. You know, uh, so you have the opportunity to start off your day well. And, and usually when you start off well, it ends up going well. Mm. Um, so get on the right foot, you know, and I, I think if you could just have some, and if you don't have a, 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 a kind of form of prayer, uh, that you would normally do is you have to kind of come up with something. I mean, uh, our, our tradition has, um, a lot of helpful guidance, you know, for us, as whether it's the liturgy of the hours or devotional prayer or praying with scripture like the monks do, Lexio Divina. Um, there's and then all the resources even online now. So I would say uh, figure it out, you know, figure out how to pray well in the morning and, um, you know, go from there. I mean, I think, you know, it, one of the things, especially a, maybe a, a monastic lesson about on, on the use of time as well is, if at all possible, I know not everybody uh, has this necessarily this capacity or, Within them, but uh, it's to have a love of reading. If you can develop a love for reading, uh, that serves, I think, your life incredibly well. And I think in a time like this, especially when you have, you know, maybe some chunks of time you didn't have before, uh, that could be a wonderful opportunity to, to discover new insights and, you know, find a new author that, you know, speaks to you, whether it's spiritual reading or like, you know, spiritual books or, you know, I'm reading novels all the time. So, I mean, you know, it's, that's the good stuff. I mean, the good stuff, right? You know, the, the things that really do speak to you. So, um, or one of the things that I do is I read different kinds of things at the same time. So it's like I'm reading poetry, I'm reading, you know, spiritual books, I'm reading scripture commentaries, I'm reading fiction, you know, and they all, because I have, you know, that's my job as a monk is I, I'm supposed to read a lot. And, and uh, so changing up a little bit also helps me, you know, and like different times of my day, I might read different kinds of things depending on, you know, what's going on. Like in the evening is usually my, my kind of fiction reading because I'm kind of winding down and it's just, just changing the, you know, the, whatever the pace of things. So, yeah, those are those are great. That's great. You know, because right now I think the temptation is to, to just sit and watch Netflix all day or no, to just get exactly. stuck on the news Exactly. The news is powerful right now because I know we have a lot of fear and there's a lot yeah. of temptation to feel like we have to stay engaged. We have to know what's happening at the latest minute. And, and we don't, you know, you could set a limits on your phones for 30 minutes yeah. or something on social media apps or news apps or whatever it is, but trying to fill it with something else. Reading is fantastic. Yeah. I, I'm, I've taken up, um, I always have books to read as well in terms of books of psychology or spirituality, but I'm yeah. picking up some fiction too. I'm, I'm finally getting around to reading some Agatha Christie. For the yeah, first time yeah. in my life. So I'm reading the, I'm starting with Murder on the Orient Express. Why not? Oh, you know, wow. let's start yeah. there. So I've picked that up in the last couple of days, which has been a blessing. But, so there's another question here, because we're talking about yeah. idleness and how to fill that. But I'm thinking, you know, right now we're still kind of in the first couple of weeks of this quarantine. And the reality oh. is that, you know, this isn't, this isn't going away in April. You know, here we are at the end of March. The reality is that they expect the peak to be in the next four to five weeks. Uh, which puts us at the end of April, early May, which means that there's still, if we're looking at peak in terms of a bell curve, there's still another side of that bell curve in terms of going down. So realistically, we might be kind of living in this life of quarantine through May, maybe June. And so yeah. my, my, my question is, 
I've done some reading of of the spiritual life and and of the the various demons and temptations and and one that's come up has been acedia this this the yeah. demon the noonday demon as as it's referred yeah. in the tradition and my interpretation of that is is that it's kind of like this restlessness and and uh, Evagrius Ponticus when who who one of the first to kind of uh, you know talk, speak about it. He said that it was kind of like this this feeling at noon when when the monastic schedule, the day is getting long, it's getting a little hot and the temptations to be like, oh, I wonder what so and so is doing in his cell or I wonder what so and so is doing over there. I wonder I wonder how much better life would be, you know, on the other side. And so this kind of listlessness or restlessness or this temptation to always be thinking or being somewhere other than where we're at kind of creeps in. Like it's easy to be motivated for the first couple of weeks and be like, yay, I'm excited. You know, we have all this newfound family time. It's awesome. But week four, week five. You know, this, yeah. this might start getting a little bit old and, and we yeah. might, that's when we're really going to start feeling the, the pinch of this, the novelty of this kind of fades. How, how, how do we manage acedia? How do we manage when the novelty starts to fade? Um, what, what's your advice or, 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 or thoughts on that? Well, one of the things that I recommend um, in the spiritual life is that for your spiritual life to, to be, I think, healthy and to keep growing is that you need two main things. One is regularity. And as monks, we have that um, <laughs> an overabundance of regularity. Yeah. Um, so that's maybe some one thing, though, that a family might not, you know, might, might have a harder time, you know, uh, struggling with, right? It's sort of kind of regular practice of showing up for prayer. Um, but it, it, so if you establish that, like now, um, with this time, and you kind of have a new structure of your life that includes prayer and reading and, and good community activity, all these monastic values, you know. Um, as we go along, if you don't have the other component, it will get boring and it's going to be kind of tiresome and it could be a chore. So just like we have to understand that our, our relationship with God is in many ways like every relationship we have. And I would say, especially as a, a, a married couple, you know, a spousal relationship, and any kind of relationship like that needs regularity, right? You need your, um, they need to know that you're going to show up, right? You're going to be there. But if it doesn't have spontaneity, if it doesn't have creativity, then it's just, it's not going to thrive, your relationship, right? So I think that's the other, I think, important component to our relationship on the long term is that the honeymoon phase like in, but that doesn't mean you, that you should, as a spouse, should uh, just kind of, um, I guess, default to the things that we always do or the things that we did back then that worked. It's it's a it's an intimate relationship we have with God, and that needs this kind of creativity and spontaneity, freshness, new ideas. Pray differently. Pray somewhere else. Uh, read a different kind of book. You know, it, it's these. Uh, it's like they're the they're the kind of essence, the essential components of the spiritual life, but they need to be altered. They need to be adapted. They need to be kind of. Sh- you need to shift them around from time to time. You know, I, I talk about a lot. We have this um, spiritual toolbox that should have all different kinds of tools within them, uh, prayer forms, for instance, and that we need to be really sensitive uh, when we need to use a different tool. 
you know, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, how God is calling you to pray at that particular time. And if you find yourself just saying words and not really engaging from your heart, change the tool, Mm. you know, do something, be be creative, uh, just figure it out. You know what I mean? Or find help, get advice. Um, and you know, through social media at this point, you could, you could do that. So, um, I think it's the, the regularity is really important, but I think it's for the long term to keep growing, to keep, uh, it, it fresh and new. You need some kind of spontaneity and creativity to kind of go along with it. Now you work with the junior monks, correct? I do. You yeah. form. So these are the men in formation. formation. So the men who have already come in, yeah. they've, they've done their novitiate and now they've taken their first temporary vows. Correct. Yes, and so before they take their solemn vows, they have they spent at least three years as junior monks. Got it. So I'm in charge of the formation. Yeah. So in that time, when when it really I would imagine is is kind of a make or break time for a man's vocation. You know, if if men yeah. are struggling with really adapting into the simplicity of life or really into the structure in the orarium of of the community, what counsel, what advice do you give to them? Um, I mean. Uh, a lot of what I've been saying to you, <laughs> I said many, many times uh, to them. Um, you know, I think one of the things that is really important uh, for them in their particular place along this uh, journey is uh, spiritual direction. So um, they need to learn how to be really honest with themselves. That's a very monastic thing, humility, right? You know. So that you are uh, really sharing with a trusted friend, it would be the spiritual director, um, or even me. I mean, as a, as a formation director, um, or some maybe someone else in the community that you, you you know you really trust. You want to be able to share your struggles, um, what's working, what's not working, uh, your temptations, you know, um, the things you don't like, the things that aggravate you, the things that. Uh, are just kind of blocking uh, kind of this journey that you're trying to progress on. And so if you really have this kind of vulnerable openness then and you're in a community like we are, I know not everybody listening will have uh, uh, even a family, right? They might be single. It's very difficult, but um, it's it's important to reach out. And I think that's that's kind of one of the lessons for them and not just to um, kind of expect it all to fall together, you know, like for them and to fall into place. They need to be hungry to grow. And it's not just, I can't impute to them, you know, monastic wisdom. You know, monastic wisdom uh, comes from experience, through trial and error. And so uh, you've got to engage life. You have to engage the process. Don't be passive, you know. And I think if they do, we have, I mean, especially in the monastery, we have all the tools necessary for them to succeed and to grow. Same thing in the seminary. There is, is such an, an incredible opportunity because there's just everything's in place with, you know, spiritual directors, confessors, the education that's giving them, you know, the knowledge and the insights, the the spiritual support of a monastery. And, you know, it's just, it's really an incredible opportunity for us. So, but I mean, with the, with technology, as we were talking about earlier, I mean, you do have a unique opportunity to access a lot of the, these kinds of tools, um, even from your own home. So I would say be proactive with your life. You know, don't. Talking, acedia is the very opposite of that. 
<laughs> it's just kind of moping around and then kind of uh, just kind of going to places mentally and, you know, spiritually, you're kind of like just asleep and then just mentally you're just kind of wandering about. Um, but there's no reason, I mean, being a monk is really the antithesis of that. It's being very, very intentional with everything you do. One of the things that you were uh, talking about, or we were talking about earlier, um, just the kind of books you read and whatnot, I was thinking, you know, uh, a lot of people are going to have a lot of time to probably sit down and watch Netflix. And um, I think that's okay. I think in, in, in a certain kind of, um, you know, balance. I mean, monastic life is all about balance. Um, but what I what I say, just like, you know, there's a certain kind of practice uh, we call Lexio Divina that monks really cherish and have been a part of our life um, from the very beginning as far as our personal prayer, you know, the kind of meditating on scripture. It's basically just reading very intentionally and prayerfully and reflectively. But that's something that uh, that's typically regarded as with a book. But um, the hope is that the monk will kind of develop a sense of um, deep inquisitiveness with all things, all manner of life. And I would say learn how to translate that kind of quality of what we call deep reading, or I would just say deep seeing, right? A, a contemplative kind of approach to life where it's whatever you do, whether if you are looking at Netflix, don't just look at something that is a form of escapism. Look for a great film that's going to uh, give you great insight into life, and there are plenty of them. You know, so don't just kind of default to uh, mindless stuff, but whatever you do, engage it. Do stuff that's going to make you a better person, that's, that's life-giving, and not just kind of um, taking a break. I mean, it's okay to take a break every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. But, I mean, there's opportunities even on Netflix, and that's what I would say. And there's opportunities everywhere you turn. You just have to make the right choices. And I think that the most important guide to making those right choices is being hungry for knowledge and truth and God. You know, and if you have a desire, then that desire will seek those things out instead of not just having a desire, a cedia, right? And just kind of letting life dictate itself to you. And that's, that's just spiritual almost suicide. Yeah, so practice uh, instead of Lexio Divina, how about uh, Cinema Divina? Can we say well, that? We is it video Divina. Video Divina, there it is. That's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> you know, watching... Actually, people people write about this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I that's how I watch my movies. I, I love watching yeah. films and, and kind of picking them apart. And uh, people, mm-hmm. people who follow me know, know that's the case. But, but I think, again, you know, like in the absence of all these things demand, that, that used to demand our time or attention or all these distractions certainly that were there, um, it, it, it is a profound opportunity for us to be, as you said, engaged, be proactive, be hungry. There are so many resources available to us online, both from an, an educational perspective, but then even now, you know, I was joking with you earlier about social media, you know, how, how, you know, before it was like the social media is the devil right now. Everybody's on social media. Everybody's doing yeah. Facebook live events. Everybody's trying to yeah. share pictures of themselves and try to connect in ways that, that, that we just didn't even a week ago because everybody I think it realizes that, you know, especially for those who are single and by themselves, I mean, now is an opportunity for you to have to reach out to people. And if you can't do it physically, then trying to find ways to do it online 
is it's not ideal, you know, but we're not living in ideal yeah. times. And so you have to kind of do what you can. Um, well, what I think is uh, this speaks to is the human need for community and another very important monastic quality, I would say. And I mean, in a family, a family is a community. I live in a monastic community. You live in your community. Um, but even an individual like alone, uh, there's ways, I think, to find community. And I think that a lot of times we can just live side by side to each other. And uh, maybe something like this is an opportunity for us really to turn face to face to each other. You know, um, whether it's even on the video like we're doing right now. Right. <laughs> right? Um, you know, it's, it's really, really important to have face to face encounters with people, deep conversations, uh, you know, that, that really nurture the soul instead of just mindless ch chatter. You know, which we often typically kind of resort to. Here, all of a sudden, we have some deep stuff to talk about. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it's serious stuff. And, and I think, again, that can be an opportunity to make authentic community happen instead of just, you know, again, living side by side, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So being intentional with prayer, being intentional with the activities we engage in, the books yeah. that we read, the movies that we watch. Uh, the yeah. work that we do, many of us still have work yeah. and we have to kind of make our time our own. The time that we spend with our kids and how we build community if, if we're single, trying to reach out and, and doing Zoom meetings, you know, or Skyping or whatever yeah. it is, FaceTime, yeah. whatever these various things, you know, they're very platforms for people to have to encourage people to be a little bit more um, open to them mm -hmm. and, and, and reaching out to them if, if they need to. Yeah. Now, yeah. it, any and you spoke earlier some some words of Saint Benedict. Is there any any other words of Saint Benedict that come to mind here that, that people need to hear in terms of encouragement during this season? Oh wow! Um, I mean, the, the kind of the job definition of a monk is to seek after God, and I think he also says um, <clears throat> God is everywhere. God is always present. And God is everywhere present, uh, and so I think that if you recognize. Um, maybe the most important lesson, I think, in all of this is to recognize God's presence, even amidst this kind of uh, what I see as a kind of almost like a pall of death and sickness mm. that is kind of uh, coming over life itself. Um, you know, death and life, light and darkness have contended from the very beginning. And I think there, we're living in a time, a lot of people are, are incredibly anxious. I mean, people have um, emailed me. I don't even know who they are. I, I think probably they came on retreat or something. And, you know, and I could just, you could just hear the anxiety within an email. Uh, I got a phone call or an, an email actually from a former colleague here at the seminary whose parents uh, live in New York and her father and stepmother are both on ventilators. And, you know, she's asking for prayer, you know. And so I think that, that there's a certain kind of threat of despair in a lot of people's lives. And I think that um, the, the, the recognition that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, our God does not promise that sickness and death won't happen. It's, it's, it's a given. It's going to happen. Um, the promise is that he's there in it. Right. And so uh, that is what the, the, where the hope comes from, is that um, God is present as Redeemer in every instance of sickness and death. And he is 
uh, with his own power, bringing life out of death, bringing light out of the darkness. So, I mean, we were listening in the liturgy, if people were, if they might be reading uh, the, the readings on their own at home, but um, a lot from the Gospel of John right now, and uh, I was, uh, I have Mass, I'm presiding at Mass on Sunday, and it's the story of Lazarus from chapter 11, which is one of my favorite uh, gospel stories. And, uh, you know, it's just this, this really almost a climactic, it's almost the climactic scene, of course, would be Jesus triumphing over the, you know, the resurrection at the end. But th- this kind of prefigurement of that contending of life and death within the, in, in Lazarus himself, um, you know, life tr- is, is triumphant. God is there. Lazarus does die, though. <laughs> you know, uh, sickness does have its way sometimes, and death does seem to win. But in the middle of it, God was there the whole time. You know, God was working through every situation and every and every person in that story, uh, and they were tempted to doubt. And Jesus is there. I am the resurrection and the life. Um, and and even Martha and Mary, they doubt, right? And uh, and in, in, in the end, uh, Lazarus is brought back to life. And I think one of the, one of the I think, fascinating uh, components of this story is that um, Lazarus is raised, but he's still kind of wrapped in the, the, the burial cloth, right? And he's tied up, as it were, even though he's alive again. But he's, he's resurrected into a community. And I think that kind of goes to what we were just talking about earlier. So while we might hear, I mean, feel this kind of, draping of uh, despair and sickness and death upon us. Uh, life is within. Life is with eternal life is within, right? And to, to recognize that we can't get ourselves out of these burial cloths, but we're resurrected into a community who, who can help. Right? And that's and that's what Jesus says, untie him. <laughs> untie him. And so they start let him let him go, you know? And it just so, I mean, I think that, um, again, every instance of um, darkness is an opportunity for the light to shine brighter, right? And I think that's, you know, hey, this is, life goes through these cycles, right? I mean, people have predicted that something like this is going to happen, and it's happening. And so, uh, you know, we can choose to despair, and look, that's again not to minimize people's really serious contending with that kind of very powerful force, but there is a more powerful force, and that's the the power of the Holy Spirit that's within within all this, right? Seeking every opportunity to bring life and light from it, and 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 as a church, you know, the uh, the body of Christ, we together help each other, right? We're there for each other to help uh, untie those barrel cloths so that people can go free, you know? So, Amen. Amen. Preach it. Preach it, Father. <laughs> from. I love it. No, you just convicted me because uh, I hear those stories of people who are hooked to ventilators or, or individuals mm-hmm. who are struggling holding onto life right now. And just even collectively, as we've gone into this quarantine, it feels just like this evil is just overwhelming. And, and because it's a well, virus and it's contagious and we can't, quite see it and we can't name it, you know, even when I'm outside running around, I'm, I'm like looking at people and like, yeah. oh, you know, like, yeah. hi, nice to see yeah. you. I'm glad you're out exercising again, but you know, don't get yeah. too close, you know, 
you know, and, 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 and that's just my, exactly. That's just my experience of it. And, and, and I, I think I've allowed myself like one moment every day over the last couple of weeks to just feel the anxiety and, mm-hmm. and just to feel it for a little bit of time, whether it's a few minutes or an hour, um, and then, and then let it go and then move on. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, Fear, of course, is an appropriate response right now, but as you've said, succumbing to tem- to the temptation of despair is a different animal altogether. Um, yeah. That that's not the gospel. Um, yeah. We we watched the, the 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 Pope's blessing today at, at noon, and uh, and he reflected on the 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 the, the passage of, of being in the boat in the storms and. And then he, and then at the end, you know, he, he did the litany of supplication. I'd never heard that one before and it was beautiful. And then just a reminder that, uh, even in the midst of all this, like fear certainly is appropriate, but, but despair is not of the Lord. Um, yeah. you know, and, and so safeguarding our hearts against, against that movement, um, is, is, is important. So again, that means, that means knowing thyself. That means, you know, knowing when you need to reach out to people. That means knowing when it's exactly. too much. That means knowing when you need to just watch a, a stand-up comedy special, you know, and, and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and just, to, just exactly. to laugh it off, you know, so you can kind of have some yeah. reprieve or, or go on a run, go exercise, go do something to burn that anxiety away so that you're, you're taking care of yourself. Um, yeah. Well, Father Ephraim, I've, yeah. I've greatly appreciated this time. Is, is uh, it, it, any, anything else that's on your mind? Any other lingering thoughts that you'd like to share? Well, I think, you know, uh, um, all these things are, are really important. Hopefully we've given some practical, uh, tools as it were to, to make the most of this time. But, uh, I think most importantly is, is you have faith. Everybody that's listening to this has faith. And, uh, that faith is, even if it's as small as a month or seed, you know, it can move mountains. And I think hold on to that belief and that conviction that we have that God has not abandoned us. God is here, uh, no matter what our circumstances may be. Um, and you hold on to that, you know, uh, in the end, it, your faith is proven true, you know, and, uh, so rewarded, so. what, what has given you hope in the midst of this? <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't want to even pretend that I've even come close to despair in a sense, or even, I mean, I haven't felt, I mean, just, the emails maybe that I've received, but um, I just know from experience. I mean, I've had other experiences of my life, like everybody has, of, of uh, you know great darkness and um, and how faith has, uh, in my experience of God in the midst of it, right, has um, has demonstrated to me how life happens, especially when you're at your weakest, you know. Especially, like I said, I mean, light shines brighter, the darker it is. Um, you know, it, so it's just, uh, I don't know why God made it that way, but that's the way it is. I mean, through the cross comes the resurrection, you know, so um, remind yourself of that, you know, and, and remind yourself of your own life journey and uh, uh, different moments where God has uh, not just gotten you through. Like, God doesn't just get us through things. God, as Redeemer, catapults us, transforms us precisely through those trials. Right? So, uh, you know, I, I look back on my life and it's like, wow, I would never have at the time said, thank God for this 
thorn in this huge massive thorn in my flesh but um i do now you know as i look back and because i know that without it i wouldn't be where i am today so that's why i see you know um, a unique opportunity for the whole human family i mean everybody around the globe is dealing with this um the whole human family to to uh, maybe wake up a little bit more to the reality of um, this, this hidden presence, this hidden powerful presence of God in all things that's contending with this, this darkness and this death. You know, and we'll try, I mean, look at the time that we're in. I mean, we're approaching Easter. <laughs> you know, it's just, I don't know, I'm just realizing that it's, it's all playing out. So, Amen. that's what I'd say. All right. Well, thank you, Father Ephraim, for your time and for your words okay. and for your encouragement and, and, and practical suggestions for people. And, uh, yep. and I just want to encourage everybody, you know, we're all in this together and uh, to, to, to keep crying out, to keep praying to the Lord. Um, and we're going to get through this. So thanks, Father Ephraim. God bless you, all man. All right. All right. God bless you. Thank you. Okay, everybody, many blessings, blessings, blessings and prayers to you all. Continue to manage your anxiety well through prayer, through exercise, and through community. Keep heeding the advice of our doctors and leaders. Wash your hands and maintain social distancing. And if you're looking for other great information and resources during this time, check us out on Facebook at Dr. Mario Sacasa. I have done a number of Facebook Live discussions with my friend Dr. Carlos Gomez, with Jay St. Angelette, and even with Dr. Jeff LaCour, an ENT and allergist, to offer some, some debunking of the coronavirus myths that are out there. You can check all of those out at Dr. Mario Sacasa on Facebook. And I plan to continue to do those throughout this pandemic just to kind of offer some encouragement and some guidance and some great content for you. So please know that you are not alone. We at Faith and Marriage are here. We're praying for you and we want to help you through this. We're all going to get through this together and God is guiding us and leading us even in the midst of this. So cling to hope, everybody. Remember, there's always hope. God bless. Be good. Mm-hmm.